firecrackers, it's Naomi and welcome to the firecracker department. How's everybody doing out there? How are your creative muscles going? Um, I'll tell you what I love. Everything. All the time. Okay, that's not true. But I am so in love with not only the team of core firecrackers that are just working their butts off to create platforms for more female stories and voices and uh, I feel like that little girl, you know that video where that little girl with the curly blonde hair is looking at herself in the mirror and she's like, I like my hair, I like my mom, I like my whole life. That's how I feel after talking to the Firecracker Department core team because they're just, they're like pew pew. There's just something for everybody. Like if you are somebody that is like, you know, you're a bit blocked creatively, jump on in. We had a writing group meeting today and we meet every Thursday online in the Facebook group and we do some writing bursts is what we're calling them, where we write and read what we've written. A, I get to hang out with people I normally wouldn't hang out from like Vancouver, Chicago, Boston, Toronto, Los Angeles. Uh, we have somebody popping in from England every once in a while. It's fantastic and it's a good muscle to exercise. I don't know about you, but I don't always love reading what I've written. It's not always easy. So having a place just to exercise and get those kind of cobwebs out is so good. And like I say, the stakes have never been lower. We all love you right away just for being a, a firecracker community member. So there's so much in the firecracker department. I can't tell you everything because we wouldn't have time for the interview that I am so excited to share with you. So you're going to have to go to the website, firecrackerdepartment.com. Of course, duh, I know, Naomi, what else would it be? So uh, go on over there, check it out, and join the Facebook group because there's lots of great discussions happening over there. And you know what? It gets one better if you get there, so come on over. As I said, I am super jazzed to share my guest today. She's just an amazing human being. And again, like I wouldn't have had this time to find out what path took her to where she is now. It's writer-producer Andra Gordon. Now, we go through Andra's entire journey, which I love because everybody can relate. You know, she started in academia and then she went to festivals and then she went into like head of development and production. We dig into so many aspects of the film industry because she has dipped her toe into all these things from developing to pitching to finance, just everything in between. I, I'm just compelled by her story because she has had so many incredible mentors and strong firecrackers that have helped guide her along the way, which is just amazing. Like, where would we be without our cheerleaders? Let's just take a moment for a second and think about our cheerleaders. Yep, that one, she's fantastic. Couldn't be here without her. Oh my gosh, those two women definitely helped me, right? So many. In fact, Shouldn't we just take a moment today at some point and write them an email and say, thank you for guiding me along the way because they're amazing. Yeah, I'm going to do that. And you know what? Andrew Gordon is one hell of a firecracker herself. Her most recent film release, Castle in the Ground, is dark. Oh boy, is it dark. And it's intense. But it is a really important look at the opioid crisis. And it's got Nev Campbell, who I adore, I don't think I've ever seen Nev Campbell in something that I didn't look at her and go, how are you so fantastic all the time? It's got Imogen Poots, Alex Wolf, and just a ton of talented actors. It's just such a good movie. And as I said, it's intense, but it's, it's a ride. Andra is the executive producer on this film. 
and brought it to TIFF in 2019. And as of last week, Castle on the Ground is officially available to you. Yeah, you, to watch at home on digital and on demand. So uh, maybe you can make this podcast a double feature, right? You could treat your ears and your eyes and maybe, you know, get some nachos so your stomach isn't like, hey, what about me? You know, play it, play it fair, everybody. This is a time to treat yourself gently. And when I think about treating myself gently, I think of nachos. But you know what? <laughs> Give yourself some, some breaks, even when sometimes the whole day kind of feels like, well, that was a, a bit of a full break day. I get it. I've been there. And I'll be there again. I spoke to Andrew on Zoom, as one does nowadays, and it was just lovely to connect and really dig into the production side of the industry. I don't get to do that very often, so I really, really value this discussion. Let's get into it now. Here she is, writer, producer, Andrew Gordon. Super track pants on the bottom. That's all. Yeah, no, this is like the first time I've worn a real shirt in many days it's so funny it's so funny I know I'm uh, well I'm so glad thank you for juggling I and you had a computer that fell apart too that's a I would have a cry for sure that would probably push yeah. me over the edge a little bit yeah, that, it, it brought me there but I'm dealing so we've been in in self um, isolation for two months now since March and uh you know we're adjusting I'm, I'm a pretty positive person and then like you know, like something will happen, like I'll break something and I'll be like, ah, like that's the thing that sets me on edge. <laughs> oh, totally. It's so funny. I was just talking to my colleague about that the other day because you have all these like huge things that happen that you're able to manage and like, mm-hmm. and, but then the stress builds and builds and builds. And it's just the tiny thing that like ends up being the straw that breaks the camel's back. It's yeah. just so funny. How I wonder if you thought this is what you would do. Because I don't know a lot of little girls that are like, one day I'm going to be a producer. <laughs> like, that's not really yeah. like the big, is this, is this in your grand scheme of things where you are now? As a kid, I always wanted to be a writer. Um, and that was always my dream that I would like write novels. And I, and I did write a lot as a kid. And it's just funny how that evolves and like reality kicks yeah. in. And I thought I was writing novels by, you know, the age of 20. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, published a couple of times by the time you're 20, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we all think that'd be a big deal by that time. I was a literature major, so I was I was definitely, you know, it was my passion. But I ended up actually um, taking this film class in undergrad uh, that I had this incredible professor who was really tough. She was known as the dominatrix of the film department and had this like spiky blonde hair and the toughest professor I've ever had and uh, challenged me in a way I've never been challenged. And so... Um, I remember watching Blade Runner in her course and writing this paper comparing Back to the Future to Blade Runner. And in that moment, I was like, this is what I want to do. And it was sort of this switch in my brain Um, because I've always been, you know, a huge fan of the arts and into creative things as a kid. But it it sort of all came together in that moment. What was it about that essay? Because this is what I want to do. I want to look and examine in-depthly into the music and the movie industry. Well, it was it just, just like the, the gravitas and themes of Blade Runner. It just, it's, it's what, it's actually my favorite movie. It became my favorite movie. Okay. And, um, and I just, I just saw this medium that had the ability to both stimulate you intellectually but also emotionally and and the power of that emotion is just incredible and what it can do and and so of course I had this idealistic vision of like it can change the world and I can be a part of this thing that changes the world and it it, but it is the medium that I think reaches people the most and 
um, has an impact in a way that that no other art form does, um, just in that visceral emotional sense. Um, so that's what I realized in that moment and sort of brought my literature background and my writing background and just thought this is such a cool medium. And Fusion. Yeah, mm. of everything. And then I realized later, you know, the collaborative aspect of it is so incredible. Um, you have people from all walks of life who have all of these different perspectives and creative sensibilities coming together to create this one thing. And it's just this perfect unity. And it's so beautiful when it works. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when it works, right? Like that perfect unity. Um, I'm sure you've had experiences in collaboration that is like not the most perfect unity, but um, still it teaches you yeah, something, yeah. right? It's still... Sure. I mean, I mean, it's, it's interesting because most success stories that you hear of usually are projects where people are really close to begin with. Like it's between friends and like, I, 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 although I will, I've heard, I've heard many stories where there was a lot of disagreement and things didn't go right yet. It came, you know, this beautiful thing came out of it. And, no, I mean, and I, at the end of the day, you have a project to do, right? So everybody's got like a baby to look after and the baby needs to survive. This is a horrible exactly. analogy, but exactly. you're all going to come together with the same intention of making that move forward. Yeah, yeah. Especially, I, I mean, it's funny, it's an analogy right now to what's going on in the world. Just, we're all kind of all in this together and it's this crazy challenge and really tough, but at the same time, I think it's sort of creating a bigger sense of community. I'm, I'm really with cool. you. Yeah, I have that same sensation as well. I'm so curious uh, with this professor that you, you worked with, you said that she, she challenged you in a way that you haven't ever been challenged. What kind of things did she do that were like, really, I mean, it's those painful lessons that you don't know their lessons yeah. until afterwards, but what kind of things yeah. specifically? It's funny, I remember my first paper that I wrote for her, which was that, that first paper, I was going crazy because I was like so excited, but also just like, I'm gonna totally mess this up. And I procrastinate because I'm a perfectionist in some ways, because I know that I'm gonna be working on it like every single moment up until the time it's due. Um, so of course I'm like pulling an all nighter and it's this disaster. And then I like, don't get it in on time. And I'm a couple days late and she's a fucking hard ass. Yeah. And just like, you know, like, I know we sabotage, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. No, we sabotage ourselves. Um, so of course I, you know, and then she was giving me a hard time and, and, um, and I finally turned it in and, and ultimately she, um, she was really encouraging, of course, had criticisms because all of those like tough professors do. She also uh, had this, this class, Women in Film, and that was also this class that just excited me about the possibility of, of being a woman in the business. Yeah. Had you not thought about that before? You know, I hadn't. I hadn't until that moment. And of course, at that time, I, I was in... So, so she actually got her PhD from NYU. And um, uh, so I was a literature major, but I ended up writing my honors thesis on film as well because of her and she was on my board oh. and ended up getting this big award because of it and graduated summa cum laude. And then she um, gave me, wrote me a recommendation for NYU. And I ended up getting a full scholarship because of her. Wow. So she's one of those people that like changed my life Game in a huge, huge way. And at first I was incredibly intimidated and, but I think those are the, the people that challenge you the most are your true mentors in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so it was, it was this amazing opportunity to go study film at NYU and- um, What was her name I, again? Melinda Barlow. 
great. I just want to celebrate her because she's made a difference, you know? I think she must have seen something in you and known how to get to it too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, it was funny because of course I was on this track to kind of be like her and get my PhD and become a film professor because I was so inspired. And right. uh, But I quickly realized that even though I love academia, like being isolated, is not really my thing. Um, and so the collaborative aspect of it was the thing that really ended up exciting me. And that's how yeah. I got into production. I think she was like a little disappointed that I didn't <laughs> like follow in her footsteps, but ultimately, yeah. you know, I, it was because of her that I, that I got into it and ended up working in production in New York. And, um, and that's how I sort of started. So it there was, you go. That's the end of the interview. We're done. Uh, <laughs> I'm so curious about what the stuff that you were writing as a child, was there anything that you're like, you can see in your work now that you started even as a kid? I do remember like one of the first things I wrote like in elementary school, all, you know, our assignment was to actually like write a book. But of course, you know, most kids, they, you write like three pages. Yeah. And um, that's a book. And that's a book. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I wrote 80 pages. What? And it was, I mean, it was about this, uh, it took place in Alaska about this girl and her sled dog. I remember all of the, all of the parents came to look through all of the, this, you know, the stories and got to mine and saw how long it was and just put it back down. <laughs> I mean, and, and I think back to that too. And I, I tend to overwrite, um, initially and, um, so it's something that, you know, I look back and I'm like, well, I started that way. And it's something I definitely need to work on in, in terms of wielding it down more. Yeah. I mean, I, I started producing because I wanted to do more of my own work. Did you start producing yeah. because you wanted your own stuff and then you started veering off and producing other folks' work? Yeah. Well, so it's interesting. I had a sort of inverse trajectory um, where I started out in production in New York as like a PA and I worked for this production company. Um, I, I actually interned initially at Fox Searchlight in publicity um, and then worked for this production company. It was an interesting situation because I was actually interning for this director, this documentary director, who is this unbelievable woman, just super talented, super smart, went to Harvard. Um, uh, but it was one of those instances where she ended up getting fired off of the production that I was working on and the production company that had hired her hired me or offered me a position. Wow. And, you know, I was 24 post recession, you know, it was the worst time to find a job. Part of me was like, do I remain loyal to her or do I take this opportunity? I, I did end up taking the opportunity ultimately like with her blessing, but it was, it was oh one God. of really hard situations because yeah. I felt that she was unjustifiably let go. So I went on to work in production had had a moment where I sort of felt like I needed to leave work. Um, I had been there almost four years and uh, growing up in Denver, I just, the city, I, I'm, I'm a huge urbanite, but at the same time, the city started to close in on me a little bit. And I was like, yep. okay, get out. Um, and so I sort of did a stint as, and, and I was such a cinephile and had this cinema studies masters. So um, I love film festivals. And so I ended up being a festival gypsy and working for a series of film festivals um, in publicity because I had sort of started at Fox Searchlight in publicity and um, and loved it because it's just this incredible community. I, I ended yeah. up working for the San Francisco Film Festival, lived in the army barracks in the Presidio Great. and 
it was and with all of you know the the other the other people on the team and it was just this incredible almost like a commune and it was every all of these lovers of film coming together and um so i loved that and it was great but it wasn't i, I ultimately the reason i got into this was to create and yeah. and so I eventually ended up in Los Angeles, like we all do. Um, Somehow we all get up, get end up here. I, you know, it's it's again super hard to find a job. I knew no one in LA. I knew one person, one friend from summer camp, like from when we were ten years old. Um, lived with her and her husband, and that was the single person I knew in LA. Almost that happens no so often. Like people know one friend, and that friend just becomes their lifeline for everything in Los Angeles. Totally, totally, and that was exactly what it was. And, um, and of course I was applying to everything. I ended up working for Film Independent for a little while because I had my connection through LA Film Festival and film festivals in general. Um, and writing these case studies about um, successful independent films, which sort of excited me and sure. you know, it was my passion. Um, but then ended up of all places, because it usually never happens this way, getting a job off of the UTA job list. Um, never. Never, it, it never happens. You yeah. have to have connection, like, you know, it, it That's never- like finding a job in the classifieds or something like that. Totally, totally. Um, so I uh, so I got this job um, underneath this guy to, to be the assistant of Joe Cohen is his name and, um, and work for American Entertainment Investors, his film finance company. And, um, and he, uh, is this, I mean, it, I never thought in a million years that I'd work on the finance side of things. I come from, you know, came from a creative background. Like I had, I had really no interest in it. And I was like, I'll just do a year. Like it's a foot in the door. I'll just do a year and see how it goes. And I'll probably learn something from it and then I'll move on. But it turned out being this incredible education. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Joe comes from Wall Street. Um, then he went on to run this company, Largo, because he represented the, uh, this Japanese company. And it became the first Japanese-backed studio. And they did, like, Malcolm X and Point Break. And then he went on to help form Alcon Entertainment and River Road and Black Label and helped put together um, Hurt Locker and, wow. and Sicario and all these huge movies. Um, and uh, so I, you know, learning the business side from him has been incredibly valuable. I would I, also say you learn like a level of social justice awareness too. Yeah, yeah, totally. All the movies are super, like they're not surface movies. No, I mean, he ended up advising and incubating all these companies that were involved in, in, in films like that, that, a lot of them that won Oscars. Um, and, and so, it was so cool to see it from the other side, you know, the, the financing and distribution side and understanding how it all worked. Um, and, and frankly, building the network that I needed to build. Yeah. Um, and, you know, because I think it's so hard if you come to LA and you're a struggling actor or writer and you are, you know, creating these things, but have nowhere to send them. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, that often happens. It seems like you really did some magical leapfrogging with like really amazing people that guided your path. Yeah. Joe's been an incredible mentor and I've learned so much from him. And, um, and it's funny cause like, like I thought it would be year or two. And then I had an incredible opportunity to kind of build my own, um, division of the company before it'd been very finance focused. And I thought, you know, we should definitely have a development and production division. We have the network, we have the connections, we have, 
you know, the finance avenues. Um, and that's my passion. And he enabled me to do that. And so I built out, you know, over the last several years, several film and TV projects. And, you know, it, a lot of it, we've optioned a lot of IP and, and developed things out that way. Um, I'm so curious about the, um, the conversation of the pitch of like, hey, I think I should be in charge of this. I think we need this arm. Because I think like, you know those sticky conversations, like the conversation with the the woman that got fired and you replaced her. Like those kind of conversations are the things that train us in the future to deal with more sticky conversations. So if we don't have them, like it can't just all be blissful. We can't like I know we want it all to be. So tell me about some of those sticky conversations. Yeah, and it's so hard as women. I feel like especially to really ask for what we want. You know, you know? why is that? Like I I don't disagree with you, but I'm like why like we want things just as much as any other gender so why can't we just say this is what i want yeah exactly because it's just a lot of times in our nature to be people pleasers and you know do and, and sort of not go against the grain so yeah. it was definitely a really hard conversation um but it was it was also organic in that i had met in new york through my previous company, um, this filmmaker and producer who is a close collaborator of Dave Eggers. Um, and so he, we, he had brought me actually an unpublished book by Dave um, that he was, uh, that Dave wanted him to adapt and direct. Um, so I started developing that project with him and um, it sort of was like kind of my big break in a way because yeah. I, Joe, like I have this great IP that I think could be really be something and like let's do this more um and I so I started say, from the outside it seems like you're nothing scares you I just want to say because, <laughs> like all the different challenges that you've had along the way you're like you know I was working with this woman she got fired I replaced her I just dealt with it like it just and I know that that's not the case I know that you had to like I don't know I was gonna say like pull up your pull up your pants, get up, get your socks on. I don't know whatever you have to do to get the confidence, but where do you, where do you get that from? Like, how do you, do you get into the mindset of taking on challenges that were a bit frightening? Um, that's a good question. I, you know, it's, I've, I've been one of those people that I, I'm a weird brand of introvert extrovert, I think where Ambivert, I they call them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I've always been kind of an observer and sort of like watching before I do in some ways, but at the same time, when an opportunity presents itself, I go for it. And I've always just been sort of not afraid to just, to just in that moment, like just know it's there and, and, and not be scared to embrace it. Yeah. Um, so it's something that I've always sort of approached in that way. And Who do you um, think taught you that? my mom, for sure. Yeah. Um, she was in the art. It's funny. She, she, we kind of had, I, I grew up with my parents kind of having inverse gender roles. So my mom was constantly working. She was the first ever woman in her position, um, walk, worked really long hours, had a really tough boss. I didn't really see her a lot as a kid. Where did um, she work? Um, she actually was the head of development, um, in, urban development in Aurora, um, which is a suburb of Denver. Okay. Um, I think there's an Aurora in Ontario too. And I was like, wait a second, <laughs> Canadian roots. Um, okay. Yeah. So she was in the development world too. So she worked directly under the mayor. And so it was funny because of course there was tension between us growing up because I felt like she kind of wasn't there in some ways, but at the same time, I, we now have a really close relationship and 
I learned so much from her mm -hmm. and, and you know, I, she, she had to work that much as a woman because I mean, the expectations in the bar is so much higher, especially when you're the first woman in your position. Yeah. And so she's the one that really taught me to like really go for it. And, and the sacrifices you kind of have to make, frankly, I mean, she had to, she had to sort of, she couldn't be there growing up because of it, but, but she was able to succeed as a result. And, you know, I think that's sort of one of the biggest lessons I've learned is we grow up thinking that we can have everything that we can have, you know, a family and a yeah. career and, and we, I, a lot of people can and it's possible, but of course you have to make concessions along the way and, and things suffer as a result. Um, yeah. especially in, in this particular line of work where you don't succeed unless you are hyper-focused and really driven. So. I was going to say, I think you sound like one of the most driven people I know. And I, I think that's like, <laughs> probably from your genes, like you're watching your mom work that hard. And so as we move forward, because I think we are in a different generation where we do try to find more balance maybe than, you know, our moms or our mom's moms. So yeah. what do you, what do you do so that we're both workaholics? I know, yeah. it. I know like growth, like we just have that innate and I'm constantly going like shut her down, like seven o'clock. I'm like off zoom right now. And then yeah, Saturdays, yeah, yeah. I'm trying, but but if I didn't have a husband, I sure would work through until I fall, you know, I fell down. Yeah, yeah totally, totally. So what's I'm your not. game to be balanced? Well, it's funny because I, I wasn't for a while, to be honest. And, um, and I don't think I would have gotten the opportunities I right. did I was in a lot of ways. Um, but I would say the last year, finally, I've figured it out. It, just, it took me a while to figure it out. <laughs> Tell me <And> everything. I, <laughs> And I will say that like the stress really weighed on me and I was even sick for a little while because, you know, we just make ourselves sick by all yeah. the stress and not, not taking time for ourselves and giving, and, you know, giving us ourselves proper self-care. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've, I learned that lesson the hard way, honestly. And, um, and then this past year just sort of made up for lost time and I traveled a bunch and, um, he went to Thailand and Mexico and all these different places, um, and let off a lot of steam, which was sort of bubbling up over a long period of time. Actually, after the film, after Castle premiered at TIFF, it was kind of like a watershed moment where I was like, okay, finished. Now I can like actually try to find balance again in my life and have a personal life. So I, I, I figured it out better recently. Of course, I'm always going to be the way I am in yeah. terms of I know we're constantly figuring ourselves out. I get it, but it's good yeah. to know. Like, I think my mom always used to say, like, listen, listen to your body. Like, if I was ever sick, she'd be like, that's your body telling you to slow down. Or I would do something like I would, I'd bump my shoulder or something. She was like, that's your body. That's yeah. a warning sign. So getting sick is something that you have to, like, we don't always listen to it either. Sometimes we're like, yeah, yeah, I'm sick, but I've got a deadline. So, yeah, yeah. And that's, and that's always the way I've been, where I've just been, been, putting, you know, the work and the deadline over, over myself in a lot of ways. And, um, and ultimately you're going to do your, your work is going to suffer as well. So that's, that's the big lesson I learned. Yeah. And, um, Did you have one of those moments where you're like, um, I, I like, because you were stretched so, so thin that it taught you to step back from the, the pressure, the pressurized route? Yeah, I definitely did. I mean, I, this, this whole thing started where I, I actually had a month where I didn't sleep at all. Yes. <laughs> like this extreme insomnia and it was crazy. That is and, so stressful. I've had yeah, insomnia. And, it, and it's funny because I was like a functional, I was functional for a while, strangely enough, um, because I think when you're in that kind of almost manic state in a way, you 
are just reacting to everything around yeah. you and you have all these balls in the air and you're, and you're able like to vibrating. Don't you yeah. think you're vibrating with like energy and tension? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so and so you just thrive on that in a way. And but then I just crashed and burned. Okay. And it was like that moment that I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta figure this out and, and be better about like having having work-life balance i mean we're so lucky that the crash and burn aren't actual crash and burning that they're just like getting sick and being able to recover exactly you know and are you able to like when you said you went traveling to thailand are you able to shut down or are you still looking around thailand going this would make a really good movie and this would make a good movie Well, the funny thing, of course, because I feel like our personal lives are so intertwined with our professional ones, especially in this business. Um, it was actually one of my best friend's weddings in Thailand. She's Thai. And um, and so a bunch, and she works in the industry, of course. So it was like a bunch of us from the industry that went to Thailand. Um, and so, you know, of course, we're all there to have fun together, but we're also like networking, yeah. like talking about our projects and you know it's inevitable we love it right like this is the problem with following what your dreams and your passions are is that we love it so much that it's not work it's it's exciting it's an infusing exactly exactly and you know it's I've always sort of felt that way about relationships too it's like it's hard to date outside of the industry. I know. I know. I married a, I'm, my background is with Second City and I met my husband at Second City so I that, that. we can awesome. just be having some fun together. Cause that's great. Cause you have a shared passion. So it works. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's still conflict. Like we're, we're a realistic <laughs> couple. Some people are like, yeah. Oh, you, you yeah. must laugh all the time. And then we do, we have a lot of good laughs, but it's also realistic where we have challenges but yeah of course of course so then along the way I know you've been producing like did you find yourself sacrificing your writing dream to produce and now maybe the tables are turning oh, a bit? yeah it's exactly how it happened um where um which you know I think you learn a, producing is it's sort of being a jack of all trades yeah so um you're you're doing everything. I mean, you're helping develop the script. You're um, thinking about its commercial prospects, how to cast it. Um, and so it's, it's, you're looking at all facets of the business, which I think is such an important perspective as a writer as well. And, yeah. and a lot of writers don't have that perspective. So a lot of things that you, that they end up writing aren't really commercial or don't have a place in the marketplace. And so it's, it's a great perspective. I, I think it, it, you know, I will say that it took me longer than I wanted to, to come back around to what I really wanted to do. But at the same time, I wouldn't trade it in just because I've learned so much from producing. And I think, you know, it's, I've now realized my dream is really to be, you know, a, a writer producer and, and, and I've been able to control my own writing, which is a lot of writers, you know, a a production company options it, it's out of your hands, you have no control over where it goes. Um, What I love about sort of optioning my own IP and and creating things from things that I control is that that you retain that control and you, you, I mean, to an extent, of course, at some stage, you're going to give up control because that's just inevitable but it it enables me to sort of do both and and have the ability to have you know more power over what happens to to what I create yeah and so is Athena Productions an affiliate now yeah um so it's funny because I met my producing partner her name is Serena Khan um we met actually so she she actually met my boss Joe in an elevator in Cannes and legitimately like elevator pitched him no elevator 
<laughs> like that doesn't happen. What is she walking yeah. in a movie? Yeah, no, I mean, that's totally her personality. She's just, she actually has, um, has a background as an actress and is super bold and um, does those kind of things, um, which is great. Um, but so she ended up coming, I was in Cannes, but didn't meet her in Cannes that year. And she ended up coming into my office for a meeting about that project that she pitched to my boss. And we really hit it off and just discovered we had similar taste and we had, we both had, you know, at that time, maybe four or five projects that we were producing that were, you know, in line with each other in a lot of ways. And, um, and we started just talking more and deciding that we'd be great partners. So we came together and, um, wow. and, you know, cause, because AEI, you know, I was sort of solely running this development production division with somehow I had a, you know, a creative executive and assistant and that kind of thing. But, but having a partner is just amazing. Cause you, you have a sounding board. It's, just so helpful for your sanity. Yeah. Um, was there a moment that you were like, I, I got to get back to writing? Like, what was the moment? Because I think that it sounded yeah. like you're sort of doing, like you're in, in the festival circuit and you're like, wait a second, this isn't what I really want to do. I need to get creative. And then you're in financial yeah. and you're like, wait a second, I got to. So you've just gone through another wait a second moment where you're like, I got to get back to writing. Can you tell me about that moment? Well, so I have this a friend of mine, a, a close friend who's actually a talent agent which is funny, um, is also, had also been writing on the side. And I joined his writer's group um, and finally started, I, I had, you know, at being so busy, I had zero time. So I had, you know, things that I started but never finished. And, you know, like we do. Yeah, because yeah, really we're last on the priority list. I get it. Right, right yeah. exactly. And so that, that really pushed me to actually finish something. And, and we actually, that, that friend, we actually collaborated together and wrote um, a pilot together. Um, and that was sort of the moment where I was like, okay, this is, this is what I want to get yeah. back to. <laughs> and you're like, oh, this, this yeah. is the thing. Like you must have a good time in your regular job because you've stayed there. But then when you, it's like putting on an old sweater and you're like, oh, what am I doing? I got to get the sweater on for always. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and so, and that was the moment. And then I had this big opportunity to write. Uh, we, we had optioned, actually, my producing partner and I had optioned uh, the rights to this memoir by Stevie Phillips, who yeah. is one of the first major female talent agents. I know. I read that. I'm like, how did this, like, that's an incredible horseshoe. And it's so crazy. I mean, I, I would say she's... And she's still alive. She's 83. Incredible woman. Like living, I mean, it's scary, obviously, in New York right now, but still has her, you know, rent controlled apartment overlooking Central Park. Right. On the For like time. $100 um, a month or something. That. Yeah. 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 And so it was just this awesome opportunity, especially because I, I just saw so much of myself in her. And sadly, in a lot of ways, the things that she had to deal with in the 60s as like literally the only woman you know in her position yeah. um we still have to deal with today and, like what? and I, like what is what has shone through for you in that story well you know it's it's interesting because of course we feel like we've made so much progress and we have you know like yeah. me too and everything else and of course there are way more opportunities for women um but you know, at the same time, I, there, there are all the same issues 
uh, such as, you know, I, I felt like, I feel like it's less so now, but when I first started out, for instance, like competing against other women was a big one. And she had the same thing where she had this like rival and the only other woman in the business. Um, right. <laughs> Just the two of them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I had a sort of a similar experience when I first started out with this female boss that had it out for me from the very beginning. Like we see each other as threats and there are only a few spots available. So we compete against each other. And I think that's gotten a lot better, especially, I mean, with me too, it's, it's interesting how finally we discovered the power in coming together and finally, finally, like, you know, because we're just separated and divided, you know, in this male driven environment. And we don't realize until, you know, that we, we have the power to change it. Yeah. But it's just interesting because sort of all those same things that she was dealing with, obviously to a lesser degree in a lot of ways, we still deal with now. So where do you get your power from? Um, I think, of course, a lot of it comes from experience. And, and of course, when we first start out, it's, it's all of us has to just pretend like we know what we're doing. Um, and I think that's, that's the biggest lesson I learned initially was yeah. just pretending like I, I, the first production company I worked for, um, my boss wasn't around that much and I kind of just had to figure things out on my own. Yeah. And now did that freak you out or was that exciting? It was exciting in some ways, but it was also like waiting for Godot and it was like the, the uncertainty and the lack of validation is really hard, especially for women. I think we constantly feel like we need that validation for whatever reason. And I, I think but it, but it made me stronger in being able to embrace that uncertainty and, and being able to just figure things out on my own and, and sort of um, forge my own path in that way. So I think it empowered me to, to really, um, to know, know how to navigate situations that I had no idea how to navigate and, and just, you know, dive in and, and just yeah. pretend like I know exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> I mean, um, I don't think anybody's gone through a career like yours or like mine without faking it along the way and figuring things out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But then with more experiencing, I, I feel like especially my good friends and the people that I've come up with in the business, it's so cool to see all of them succeeding now and just all of the things that I know now that I didn't before, it, you know, gives you a lot of, a lot of agency. Um, yeah. But of course- Was there a life lesson along the way that you were like, well, that's something I'm gonna keep with me forever? I, I think it was along the lines of, what we were talking about in terms of my biggest life lesson, which is the fact that you can't run yourself into the ground. Yeah. <laughs> and that was, the, like I said, that was sort of a watershed moment um, where I learned that, you know, how important it is to, to take care of yourself. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, would say, I would say that's the biggest thing. Yeah. yeah. And along the ways, did you feel like there was a moment that really put you on track? Because I feel like also, seeing people in your positions, people are like, oh, you've always been on track. You knew exactly what you were doing. But I bet there was a moment when you were like, maybe I should go back to school for something else because this isn't working out like it. Did you have that moment? And what was that tipping point like? Yeah, well, definitely. I got to a point where I, I, I think it was that sort of moment where I was like, okay, I either need to move on from this position in finance or figure out a way to, to make it work with my passion. And so I, I, I was sort of getting frustrated because I was like, I'm not doing this. I'm not fulfilling the creative part of me. And I think, and actually meeting Joey, 
Klein, the director of the of, of Castle on the Ground, um, I actually met him through his first film, The Other Half. I was actually the sales agent for that film and EP'd it. And we immediately just became best friends. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's amazing when you find collaborators that are also your best friends. And I think that's what's, what this is all about. And okay. we just like really clicked and have the same taste. And, and so in that process, working with him and then working with him the last several years in developing Castle on the Ground, that was sort of a moment where I was like, I, as a producer sort of coming into my own and working with him and someone I love collaborating with, that I realized, you know, this is, this is what it's all about. Yeah. And, you know, it was a really, I will say full of disasters, but. Was that, I mean, that was one of the most, I said to you before we started talking that I just finished watching it this afternoon. Yeah. And just because my, my blood pressure wasn't high enough. I thought, let's get into a real dark state and watch this movie because it's so intense. It's yeah. so, intense. so intense. But tell me about that journey. Yeah, well, it, it, it definitely evolved um, in, in a really interesting way. It started out much more a genre piece. And then Joey, you know, he, he's, he's so good at creating these characters that are really nuanced. And he, he really wanted to go in a direction of of really looking at, I mean, you know, the opioid epidemic, of course, right now it's not as much on people's minds, but it's still, you know, very prevalent, if not worse, given what's going on in the world. Yeah. It's just all, you know, a lot of these people are just incredibly lonely and I think it's a really lonely time. And so I was so inspired by him because we, our tastes are aligned in that I, I love working on projects that are character driven, but at the same time surrounding an issue of some kind and, and really putting a message out into the world. And that's where we're really aligned. And um, and so I love this and, the, and he did so much research and he had a personal way in as well to the story. So working through this with him has just been amazing in that, you know, he figured out a way to just make it sort of in the body of a crime thriller, but still a hard hitting drama about this issue oh. that, that needs to be, you know, come to our attention. What, is there an aspect of the film that you know, like that your fingerprint is on that you're most proud of? Well, working through, I mean, obviously worked through many, many drafts with him. Yeah. Um, I mean, I definitely, the Anna character, developing out her um, was yeah. something that, you know, uh, we went through a lot of iterations of and, and finally finding who that character was, was a just really cool moment. Yeah. Um, and of course, Imogen brought it to life in an incredible way and brought so much to that character. She's so talented and yeah. amazing. Surprise. I just didn't expect that character to be that character. Yeah. Like, it was yeah. So beautifully detailed and tragic and annoying yeah, everything. Yeah. <laughs> no, totally. She brings yeah. so much and she's and she's great. I got close with Imogen in the process and she's wonderful. I mean she's so down to earth and yeah. um just the class clown as well and fun to work with. So I think I think that's another cool thing is like despite it being a super dark and heavy film, Joey as a person and you get little glimpses of it, there's there's levity and heart in the movie. Yeah. And he's able to sort of let us breathe in this way that that is, you know, little little humorous moments that yeah. that really work. I think um, you need that. Like especially an intense movie like that. If you aren't directing from a place of like, I don't know, playfulness on some level it's yeah. just going to be like one level. So you can so see that the level of humor in that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely. 
definitely, yeah, and he brings brings so much to it in that way. And we had just incredible cast all around with Alex, little little genius, and then Nev Campbell, who's you know was my idol growing up. It was incredible to work with her. Yeah. So, so do you have like a project right now that you're like, this has been great, but I gotta get to this. Okay, Stevie's <laughs> gonna be fantastic. That's gonna be awesome, but I gotta get to the next. Do you have a big project in your in your site? about or not um, even coming up just that you know you have to create in their in your lifetime great yeah because i have a literature background i am a big fan of adaptations um i just i you know it's they really excite me because i think I, I i love novels and and i love you know just i grew up just reading so much and loving just like lyrical writing and you don't get a lot of that in screenwriting you have to get straight to the point you know right yeah <laughs> And it's so dialogue driven. Um, so, but I love the idea of bringing this, a novel to life on screen. Um, and so there, there are a couple novels that I can't quite talk about yet that, no. that I'm super excited about. That you have that superstition, you can't let a cat out of the bag because <laughs> it'll kind of like not, this is the wrong analogy, I was gonna say it'll float away, but it's like, you gotta contain the idea for a little bit. Yeah, exactly. But but I but I love I love that process. And of course, it's it's an IP driven business as well. So I think it's really important to to figure out what your source material is and and where it's coming from and how to frame it. And of course, that now comes from you know my finance background and figuring out okay what's what's gonna work and how you know how are we gonna maximize this commercially. So. It feels like all the skills, like it feels like you did a little Wizard of Oz where you're like, I'm going to pick up a bit about festivals and I'm going to pick up about financing. And you're picking up all these things to create the things that you're working on in this chapter of your life. Yeah, for sure. And even in working on Stevie, all of the things that I've learned in my career are yeah. so important in terms of writing this show because it all goes into, into this character. I love it. I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up with some rapid fire questions that are neither rapid or fire. So just feel free to take your time. Um, okay, great. What do you want to be best known for? Being a creator, I think. I, of course, I have the lofty dream of being like a Shonda Rhimes. Um, mm -hmm. You know. Um, yeah. And, or or Marty Noxon. You know, she's one of my heroes. I love it. If this was a movie and we're wrapping it up with a credit soon, what was the climax of your movie so far? I think this is the theme of this of this conversation, but uh, um, paying attention again to my to my personal life and and how that is helping my professional life. Yeah, I'm so grateful for that discussion because I I guarantee you're not alone. Like I guarantee that people will listen to this and be like, I gotta check in. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a really useful thing to keep bringing up, and I bet. 10 to 1, you and I, like a year from now, will be like, I got to check in. Like, it's not something that I will ever, ever solve. I'll always battle with it. So I think it's really yeah. useful to bring yeah. it up. Yeah. Um, sure. What's something that people don't know about you? Um, I, I lived in a shed in Boulder um, where I didn't even have a, like a key. Uh, I couldn't lock the door. Raccoons wandered in and out. I was managing a boutique at the time. This is such a bolder thing because <laughs> it's just like a city of like trust fund babies yeah. who are also hippies. And, it, and, but then you have, you have all walks of life in Boulder. It's so funny. So I, I was living in the backyard in the shed of this house and, and it was so funny because I would have these design, because I was managing this high end boutique. So I had these designer dresses like hanging in the window of the shed and most of my stuff was locked in my car. So it was kind of like living out of my car in the shed and was renting it from this artist who went to Thailand. Um, so that was kind of a crazy fun period of my life right after undergrad, before I went to grad school, where I was just kind of like, 
<laughs> you <Wow>. know, <laughs> that's so. That's that's a very colorful chapter for sure. That's a movie yeah. into itself. I don't I don't think that we make mistakes. I think that they're sort of just learning opportunities. But if you had a mistake in your past that you've learned from, what would that be? The best or your favorite mistake? Um. Hmm. Let me think about that for a second. Um. I, I think it's along the lines of what we were talking about. Like I always think that my biggest mistake wasn't well maybe first of all coming to LA right at 22 working in the mailroom at an agency um starting to write then starting to do the thing I wanted to do then I sort of had a much different journey um and didn't and and sort of came back around um and so sometimes I think oh I should that's what I should have done and I would have you know reached my goal quicker um but at the end of the day, like I said, I feel like I've learned so much from my particular journey that I, that I probably wouldn't trade it in. At the yeah. Same time. Yeah. I know there's this pace that we're on, right? Like I think that our industry creates such a, a pace for everything that happens yesterday. Yeah. So it's challenging for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what helps you regroup when you've had those challenging times? What's the thing that you always go to, to help you regroup in your life? Um, yoga is a big thing in my life as you know just having having that balance and being able to meditate and, and just take a break and clear your head um i, I actually almost became a, a yoga teacher too and did a teacher training program it's something that's become really important to me and um been trying to do as much as i can in quarantine as well it's but it's hard, hard yeah 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 um, i find that like if i do my meditation my morning pages uh, my yoga maybe a little exercise I mean, it's already cocktail hour by that time. So it really yeah. eats up your day trying to be centered. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and I, also, I also love hiking and being outside. I come from Colorado, so come from this very outdoorsy corner. And part of the reason why I felt like I needed to be here maybe is just having that space and access to nature and, and oh, being yeah. able to go so many amazing places in California to go to. And, um, so I'm embracing that. Yeah, 100%. Uh, my final question is, what advice would you have given to your younger self? I would have told my younger self to enjoy the journey and smell the roses along the way because I, I feel like we oftentimes get in this sort of put our blinders on and, and don't and stress out about all the little things and and get so hyper focused that we forget that you know what we do is incredible and it's it's and there are so many things to enjoy about it. And I think it's really important to just stop and realize like, this is the coolest job ever. <laughs> you know, I'm so happy you said that because I think we do go along our life. And at first we're like, oh my God, I got this. Oh my God, I got this opportunity. And then somewhere along the lines, it just becomes another thing as opposed to going, we get to do something really cool in the entertainment in business and industry. So it's good to stop and, and smell that industry. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's so important. Yeah. It's so important. I so appreciate speaking with you, Andra. It's been such a delight. And I'm so glad to also bring in a whole other perspective because I speak to a lot of people that are like either actors or directors. And I love having that insight into production and writing. And um, you're, such a, you're such a wealth of wisdom. It's fantastic. Awesome. Well, thank you. It was so great to meet you. And I'm thank inspired you. by you too. I love that you do this. It's so great that you're like highlighting all these women. It's so important. So well, this I is what it. it's about, right? We'll figure out how to help each other to get our, our way and find our way ahead. Um, but yeah. thank you. I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you. And that was Andra. 
the best, right? I mean, I just love having people on this show from different parts of the industry because, I mean, I don't know about you, but I just, I learn so much all the time. And sometimes this is what happens, it's kind of weird, is that I'll have these chats and then something somebody will say, be like, oh man, I so needed to hear that today. Um, that happens each time, each time I talk to one of these firecrackers. You can watch her newly released film, Castle in the Ground, on digital and on demand right now, all across Canada. Uh, you're welcome. The other project we spoke about in the interview was called Stevie, and it's actually the first project under Andrew's LA-based Athena Pictures. Stevie Phillips, get a load of this, was a manager and talent agent for Judy Garland and Liza Minnelli, who I adore, Bob Fosse, Robert Redford, so many more. And it's one of those stories you hear and then you're like, how has this not been adapted before? And thank goodness it's been adapted now. So I cannot wait, I cannot wait to see this Stevie. It is a firecracker filled project for sure. And uh, I just can't wait to hear more about it. Maybe I'll bring Andra back in and we can talk about it when it's released. Until then, go find Castle on the Ground and treat yourself to a movie night. You can follow Andra on Instagram, A-N-D-R-A Paige Gordon. And while you're over there, why not do some fancy finger work and go over to Firecracker D-E-P-T and send me your favorite quote from this episode or send me something that Andrew said that you were like, oh, I hadn't thought of things that way before because I know there's something. There's always something for me. I just want to let you know that there is something for everyone within the Firecracker department. And if you're not already part of our Firecracker members group over on Facebook, why not? You should be. It's super fun and it sort of is our central hub for connecting with each other and there's so many amazing people like you. It's kind of like what I say is, these are your people. Come and find us. This is where you'll hear about what's going on in all the departments and also meet some fabulous firecracker people from all over the world. So get in on that action. Mondays are FDTV. That's Firecracker Department Television. The after show comes out on Thursdays during the day. And then in the evening, we have a writing group that meets on Thursday. So you can be part of that as well. Come one, come all. And then Sundays, we do a community brunch on Zoom so everybody can come meet some of your people, hang out, and then pop over to our wellness department for an amazing meditation live on Instagram and Facebook. So I'm telling you, we're busy and there's something for you. There's a department and a seat for everyone at the firecracker table. You just have to pull up a chair because really we've been waiting for you. So come on in and join the community. Stay in the loop and subscribe to our newsletter at firecrackerdepartment.com. I'm really glad you're here. Big, huge, massive, gigantic, big hearted thank you to the whole firecracker team. Oh my gosh, everyone who are in Los Angeles, Toronto, Vancouver, and all the way over in the UK. And we've got some firecrackers that are humming over in New York or hoping to start a chapter over there as well. Thank you to the core members that really make everything work. They're incredible, incredible people. Remember the after show for this episode comes out on Thursday and you'll be able to meet a couple of the core members through that. And then we're gonna do a whole new episode on Tuesdays. Yeah, we don't stop. Because we know that this stuff is important. It gives folks platforms for your voices, for your stories. And thanks to you for taking the time to listen. Because you know what? There's a lot of options out there. And there's a lot of information. So we're really thrilled that you chose us. Let us know what you're working on. Let us know how we can help. Because I always say, we're one better if you're here. And we'll see you next time on the Firecracker Department. I'm Naomi. Bye.